This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I'll spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measures, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like morning for an only son and the end of it for it, of of it like a bitter day the days are coming declares the sovereign lord when i will send a famine through the land not a not a famine of food or a thirst of water but a famine of hearing the word of the lord people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the lord, word of the lord but they will not find it in that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Bathsheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on Amos. Well, a couple of years ago, a paper was published by the University of Missouri. Uh, it says that listening uh, is the communication skill we use most frequently. We spend between 70 to 80% of our waking hours in some form of communication. Uh, of that time, we spend about 9% writing, 16% reading, 30% speaking, and 45% uh, listening. That means we spend more time listening than any other form of communication throughout the day. But studies also confirm that most of us are poor listeners. Uh, we might comprehend and retain 50% of what we hear, but after 48 hours, uh, that drops to 25%. Uh, there could be several reasons why we're poor listeners. Uh, it could be because we hear what we want to hear, like this picture on the screen. The wife says, you never listen to me. Maybe you can relate to this. You only hear what you want to hear, and the husband responds, sure, I'll have a beer. Uh, or it could be uh, because we have selective hearing. Uh, so in this comic, the man with the hearing aid says, it's a special hearing aid. It filters out criticism and amplifies compliments. Uh, and I wonder whether we all have this sort of hearing aid. 
Uh, don't you hate it when you're at school or work and uh, your teacher or your boss gathers uh, the, the group together to delegate work, but, but your peers don't pay any attention and after the meeting they ask you, so what was that about? Uh, or, or when you're at home and you tell your kids to tidy up their room, but they don't. Uh, after a few hours you come back and the room's still a mess. Uh, they still haven't tidied up their room. How tiring and frustrating is it when people don't listen? Well, as we've seen over the past few weeks, ancient Israel wasn't good at listening either. Uh, years early in chapter 3, Amos tells Israel, the lion has roared. That is, God has spoken. God is speaking to you right now. The lion's roaring at you. But they kept going to Bethel anyway. Uh, then in chapter 5, Amos called Israel to seek God and live. But they didn't seek God. They kept seeking to make a profit at the expense of the poor. So time and time again, as we've seen in Amos, Israel didn't listen to God. They weren't good at listening. They turned a deaf ear to the prophet Amos and an unrepented heart to the God Almighty. This reached the climax last week when, when Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, the king's chaplain, the archbishop of Israel, as it were, told Amos to go back to Judah. He's had enough of listening to Amos and the word of God. Go home. Stop talking to us about God's grace and God's judgment and our need for repentance. We've had enough of listening to God. Stop. And now in today's passage, God shows Amos the fourth vision. The time is ripe for the judgment of God. Now there's actually a play on words in the original where the word for summer fruit sounds like the end. And you'll notice in our translation, they've tried to bring that across by using the word ripe and repeating the word ripe. Now let me read it to you, verse 1. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. Uh, what do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe. That is, the end has come. For my people Israel, I'll spare them no longer. Now, when you have a, a bowl of ripe fruit, you want to eat it, don't you? You don't want to leave it too long because if you do, then it'll become overripe. It'll, it'll become rotten. Uh, it'll turn black and squishy. It won't be very nice to eat at all. So imagine if there was an overripe banana. Imagine eating that now, how, how awful and yucky and disgusting that is. And, and so the time is ripe now for the judgment of God on Israel. This means that the time for Israel to repent has come to an end. There is no more time for them to repent. That's it. For the fruit is ripe, the judgment of God has come, the time is ripe. But at the same time, the time is ripe because to leave it any longer is to let sin to continue to inflict harm on the people of God, on the poor, the oppressed, those who have not received justice. And so the time is ripe for sin to come to an end, for their sins to stop. The time is ripe. And so God announces his judgment on Israel. There'll be death everywhere, including in their worship space, at their temple. Uh, verse 3, In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Everything will be turned upside down. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. The place of worship, the place of singing God's praises will be completely silent. 
the place where bodies gather to worship God will be dead bodies everywhere. Imagine you came to church this morning and this building was filled with dead bodies everywhere. No life, no singing, no praises, but death. Worse than a funeral would be dead bodies out in the open everywhere, flung on top of each other, piled on top of each other, blood splattered all over the walls, everywhere. The place of worship of God is the place of the judgment of God. How awful and terrifying, not what you'd expect. You go to the office, there are dead bodies. You go downstairs, there's blood everywhere. You go to the cafe, there is dead body after dead body after dead body. The place to receive God's grace has become the place of God's judgment. You see, even though Israel went to the temple every week and kept the Sabbath to a T, their hearts couldn't be further from God. They were physically present but mentally absent. They were engaged. They weren't engaged with God and His Word. They were preoccupied with making money. Have a look at verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy. And do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over? That is a festival of theirs. When will it be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat. All they cared about wasn't listening to God. All they cared about was how can this be all over so that they can go and make more money. The article published by the University of Missouri on listening argues that we think faster than someone else speaks. And so unless we're actively listening, our minds will drift and wander. So most of us can speak 125 words per minute. But we have the mental capacity to listen to someone if they were able to speak at 400 or 600 words per minute. That means when we listen to someone speak, we're only using 25% of our mental capacity. We still have 75% to do something else with it. And that 75% could be attentive listening, full concentration, full presence in what the person is saying. Or the 75% is not concentrating on what we're hearing, but on something else. As our minds wander and go on, thinking about something else. This is made worse by bad habits. Uh, Ten are listed in the article, but let me mention two. The first one is when we think the topic's uninteresting. And so rather than attentive listening, uh, we allow our minds to drift because we think whatever's being said is not that interesting. And so I'm a bit bored, I'm not that interested, I'd rather think of something else. And so we use our our mind, our 75% of unoccupied mental capacity to think about something else. Uh, the sixth habit is, is one that we, can, we think we can get away with. It's called fake attention. Uh, when we pretend we're listening, but our minds wander onto other things, we fool ourselves in thinking that the person speaking don't even notice. That's what's happening in ancient Israel. They didn't really want to go to the festivals like our Easter's or Christmas celebrations. They didn't really want to be at the temple and keep the Sabbath, like how we might go to church every week, because they did that for religious reasons. They did that out of tradition. They did that out of obligation even. But when they're there, they're not listening. They're not interested in the topic at hand. 
They don't want to hear about God's holiness and their wickedness. They don't want to hear about God's grace and their need for repentance. They think that they're fine as they are. And so their minds drift on other things. They pretend they're listening, but really they're listening to themselves, listening to the thoughts of their minds as they think about their business and how they can grow their business, as they think about money and how they can make more money. They're at church, as it were, but they want church to be over. They go to Christmas and Easter services, as it were, but they want their Christmas holidays to end and the shops to open again so that they can go and make more money. Now, I hope that this doesn't describe you. I hope you're not coming to church because you have to, but because you want to. I hope you're making sure you sleep at a godly hour on Saturday night so that you come with alert and awake on Sunday mornings to hear from God. I hope you're listening to God's word attentively and heeding his warnings and not just wishing church will quickly be over so that you can get on with your day. I hope you're actively listening to God's word and embracing his grace and not just let your mind drift to the chores you have at home and the list of things you have to do today and the admin that you still have to finish off. I hope you're not pretending to listen to God like ancient Israel and wish that God would just stop speaking because you think you know it all already. You're fine as you are, nothing to repent of, and you can get on with your day. Because if that were the case, then I'd worry what you're like at work. You see, for ancient Israel, their problem wasn't just confined to the Sabbath but to every day of their week. On Saturdays, they were distracted when they were meant to be worshipping God, but from Sunday to Friday, they were dishonest when they were meant to be working for God. On Saturdays, they failed to worship God, but from Sunday to Friday, they failed to uphold justice. They ripped off their customers and made a killing at the expense of the poor. So from verse 5 again, let's read. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat. And look at how they do. Look at how they do business. Look at how they live their life. Skimping on the measure. Boosting the price. And cheating with dishonest scales. And so this scale is meant to read at one kilo for one kilo of figs. And they pile on the figs. And you're paying for one kilo of figs. But if you measure that that, 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 that weight, it's not one kilo at all. It's far less. And so you pay for a kilo of figs, but you might actually walk home with 500 grams of figs. Buying the poor in verse 6 with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. That is, that is atrocious, isn't it? That they would buy their own brothers, their own kin as slaves for pittance, for the cost of a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings, the rubbish that comes with harvesting wheat as though it's part of the wheat. You get less for your money. And these religious men and women make a killing at your expense. You see, if you want to know if someone's a genuine Christian, don't look at whether they go to church and if they make it to the Christmas services and Easter services, look at the way they work. 
Look at their life from Monday to Saturday and how they live their lives, how they treat their colleagues. Look at the business and the department they run and look at how they care for their employees. You see, for Israel, the issue wasn't just dishonesty but greed. The issue wasn't just selfishness but injustice. The land of Israel was a land flung with milk and honey. There was enough to go around. Everyone could have been wealthy. Everyone could have been well-off. None of them should have been a slave. But the wealthy abused their privilege and the power neglected justice. There's a time for an earning a keep, but never a time for dishonest scales. So friends, are you honest at work? Are you generous as an employer? Do you step in when you see there is injustice? And make every effort to do what is right. When you go to work, do you think that I'm working for God and how I'm seeking to bring him honor and glory? Or are you selfish and lack grace in all your ways? Because for ancient Israel, God not only knew what was happening, Have a look at verse 7. This is a scary verse. He wasn't going to forget what they were doing. The Lord has sworn by himself. This is a serious matter that God would even swear by himself. Don't take this lightly, friends. The pride of Jacob. I will never forget what they have done. Friends, God knows. God knows how we live our lives. And God won't forget. And so we must repent before it's too late, for it was too late for ancient Israel. For the fruit was ripe. The time has come. The judgment of God has come. Last year, new anti-Hoon laws in Victoria came into effect. Uh, Hoon drivers, uh, those who do burnouts, drag race, have too many passengers in their car, uh, excessive speed and so forth. Now in the past, there was a Hoon driving law, but if you were caught, the police would only confiscate your car for 48 hours. Now it's 30 days. Uh, if you break the law again, then they'll take your car away for three months. And if you break the law for the third time, then you'd risk losing your car completely. You won't get it back. Now, the purpose of the law is to deter hoon driving. It's to make it clear that it won't be tolerated. And if someone refuses to obey and accord, their privilege will be stripped from them. If they refuse to listen, their car will be confiscated from them. It makes sense, doesn't it? Like how a teacher might confiscate a student's phone if they keep using it during school hours. Or a parent takes away toys if their child won't put it down when it's dinner time. And in a similar way, God's punishment fits the crime. God gave Israel the land flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land that could produce crops for everyone. No one should be sure. There was plenty to go around. But ancient Israel didn't listen. They didn't obey God's word. They, weren't, they were defiant and disobedient. And so God's punishment will fit the crime. From one disaster upon another, God will take away from them, God will confiscate from them everything they need 
to grow their wheat and to make money. God will send earthquakes and destroy the land. You need land to farm, to grow wheat. Well, God's going to take it away. If, you're, if, if that's how you're going to use the wheat, that you're going to grow on my land, then I'm going to take the land away from you. So God will take their land and destroy their land through earthquakes. Verse 8, Will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. What else do you need to grow wheat? You need the sun. Well, God's going to take the sun away from them. He will darken the sun and turn singing into morning. Verse 9, in that day declares the sovereign Lord, I'll make the sun go down at noon, at a time that you least expect, at a time when you need the sun the most. In the middle of the day, God's going to take their sun away from them and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and your singing into weeping. I'll make all you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I'll make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And what else do you need? What else do you need to harvest a crop? You need water. And so God's going to bring a thirst through the nation. No matter how strong and how beautiful you are, you will thirst. Verse 13, In that day the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As surely as your God lives then, and as surely as the God of Bathsheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Everything they need to grow wheat, the land, the sun, and the water, will be taken from them. God will confiscate from them, for they have not used it to bring him glory but to bring injustice in the world. But the worst of all the punishments isn't a famine of food and water, but a famine of the hearing of the word of God. God will send a famine of his word. Verse 11, Though days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I'll send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a third of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You see, if they refuse to listen to God, God will take it from them as well. If they refuse to listen to God, then they won't hear from God. And even if they change their mind and go looking for the word of God so that they might hear it, it'll be too late. They won't find it. Verse 12, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Now it sounds like that they're making every effort, don't they? It's like that they've repented and they're like, oh no God, we want to hear from you now. It sounds like they're going everywhere possible to search for the word of the Lord. But when you take notice of where they go, you'll notice that they don't go south. They go from sea to sea, that is the Mediterranean Sea to the west and to the Sea of Galilee to the east. They wander from north to east. That's strange, isn't it? You'd think that they'll go and wander from north to south, but they wander from north to east again. Which is strange, isn't it? Because you'd expect it to be north to south. So why are they going south? Why do they go north and east and west, but they don't go south? Well, what's in the south? In the south is the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. South is Jerusalem, where the, where the temple of God is. South is where you'd find the word of God. And so where do they go? They go everywhere, but where they know the word of God is. 
They know the word of God can be found in Jerusalem, in the south, in the temple. But they won't go there. They'll go everywhere else. You see, just as they were disingenuous in their obedience to God when they were flourishing as a nation and they came to worship God in Bethel, so they weren't genuine. They won't be genuine when they look for God where he can be found. Because they won't go where he can be found. They'll go everywhere else. And so God's punishment will fit the crime. If they refuse to hear the word of God, then they will not find the word of God. It's a scary thought, isn't it? But do you do that as well? Do you read the horoscopes for direction instead of following the directions of Jesus who calls you to carry your cross and follow him? Do you do yoga to find inner peace instead of meditating on the peace you already have in Christ? And dare I say, do you mostly listen to sermons and read books about Jesus, but rarely open the Bible and listen to God directly? Friends, how are you going with listening to God? With obeying God, with loving what he loves and hating what he hates. We live in a world where the word of God has never been more accessible. But if we don't open our Bibles and read it, are we listening to God? If we come to church but our mind drifts onto other things, are we listening to God? If we open our Bibles and study it but don't obey it, are we listening to God? Listening is hard work. And if we only retain 25% of what we hear after 48 hours, what it means is that we'll often forget the gospel. Come Tuesday, you'll probably forget most of what I've said today. And so I can't think of a better way to end this sermon than to read a few passages of scripture to you. For the drought of the hearing of the word of God came to an end, not when people found God, but when God came to his people. When God's only son, the word of God, became flesh. So we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And the day of God's judgment on Israel, when the land will shake and the sky turn into darkness at noon and there'll be mourning for an only son. Well, Matthew chapter 27 tells us that when Jesus was dying on the cross, the sky at noon turned dark. And after Jesus breathed his last, the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, the curtain was torn in two. For the one and only Son of God took, him, took upon himself the punishment reserved for us. And this was the response from the centurion in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four, When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Friends, do you believe what the centurion believes? That Jesus is the Son of God who took upon himself 
the judgment that was reserved for us. For just as the time was ripe for the judgment of God to fall on Israel, so in Jesus the time was right for God to save the powerless. And that includes you and me. So let me end with these words from Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us.